0: All right, welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi.
1: And I'm Katie Halper. And this is Useful Idiots. And if you can't tell what the name of the show is, I have a mug that proves it. And it says Useful Idiots on it. It says Useful <laughs> Idiots with Matt Taibbi and Katie Halper, Rolling Stone and two stars.
0: That's all the proof that we need that uh, that we are here and that is actually the name of the show.
1: And why am I bringing this up, ladies and gentlemen? Because... We need to spread awareness about so many things, uh, including this show. So the way you can do that is if you order one of these mugs, does this sound like the sad thing is I don't make any money from this. That's what's so sad. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's so, like, why am I, why am I pitching this so hard?
0: It, it's so weird. Yeah.
1: It's a movement.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm not it going to get, get in the way of it. I mean, it's, oh. it's uh you should, you should pitch away.
1: You know, coffee even tastes better in this mug. <laughs>
0: Well, I don't have one. All I have is a Snoop Dogg mug. So, yeah. um, but we got to get through it. We got to we got to move past it because we have the most important story in the history of media to talk about, yeah, basically, uh, yeah. which is, and I think everybody knows what that is. Uh, so we don't have to bring it up now. We no, have. No, we don't have to uh, bring
1: it up. Let it. Let it. Uh, it'll pop up later in the show. It'll
0: pop up on its own, and then we will touch upon it.
1: We will touch. We'll have to touch upon <laughs> it. And honestly, we haven't done enough of a deep dive, so it's just going to be the tip. It'll be just the tip of the story. (laughs) But like we can't stop it from rearing its head. (laughs) You can look away, but it's going to be there.
0: That's right. That's right. And uh, of course, you know, you probably know what we're talking about. Or maybe not. Maybe Maybe not. not.
1: What else could that apply to?
0: I don't know. Lots of things. There, are, there actually were lots of other things that happened in the world this week.
1: Yeah, but none, none that cast such a shadow.
0: Right. Yes. Exactly. All right. Well, let's just uh, let's do the uh, the four food groups. Democrats suck. Republicans suck. Uh, isn't that terrible? Isn't that weird? And uh, I'm up. Right. Yeah. All right. One of the, the big story this week, uh, or at, as of this moment, it'll probably change ten times before right. uh, this actually goes to goes out on the internet. But um, obviously, the release of the Hunter Biden archive the New York Post story which was controversial for several reasons right including unfortunately we didn't get to talk to our last guest Antonio Garcia Martinez uh formerly of Facebook about this but the decision by Facebook and Twitter to to suppress that story it was uh, I, I thought kind of an amazing moment in yeah, it was. uh his, his history of modern media and um and now we're into this sort of second phase of the story. And the interesting thing about there's a couple of interesting things about it, but, but the Biden camp didn't deny right. the veracity of any of this material right away, which is which is a big deal. Like right. if anybody's ever done one of these exposés. You're always holding your breath in the first five you know, to six hours after you release it, because even sometimes if you have a, a true story, you know, the target of the story will deny that it's real. And then then it creates this whole dynamic that, um, you know, puts everything into question. And the fact that they didn't do this uh, was significant.
1: Can you, Matt, sorry, just because it was a very um, centered story, can you set it up for listeners and viewers who may not know what sure. these materials are that came out?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, the story is that Hunter, Hunter Biden, uh, who obviously is Joe Biden's son, who has some issues, ostensibly he left a laptop to be repaired at a certain place and never picked it up. And the owner of the store somehow eventually got that laptop into the hands of people like Rudy Giuliani. And on that laptop are is a lot of stuff. Uh, it's amazing that the secondary headline is Hunter, Hunter Biden allegedly smoking crack and having sex and with photos. The sort of top line story had to do with Communications he had with with the uh, allegedly with uh, executives from the the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, and the the worst thing in it was basically this uh, the implication that Hunter had introduced his father to an executive from from Burisma uh, because Burisma was looking for Hunter to quote use his influence. Um, to help them get out from under basically bribe demands from uh, the Ukrainian government. So very ugly story. Right. And if true, it it contradicts uh, things that Joe Biden has said said before, kind of messes with the timeline of this whole Hunter Biden story a little bit as reported. But again, nobody disputed the veracity of it. And then they moved into this phase immediately uh, where. Both members of the media and politicians started calling it a Russian disinformation campaign, completely without any evidence at all. Right. And the uh, the worst offender of this, and Dan, if we could see the story, was Adam Schiff. You know, Adam Schiff is is really you know he's he's the like a walking definition of political mediocrity. This guy. Yeah. And he's been he's basically been the Democrats' hatchet man throughout the kind of Russia Gate period has repeatedly said things that were demonstrably untrue, uh, and the, the, the press keeps giving him you know, a place to say these things. Right. I mean, he went back, he was the person who told us that there was more than circumstantial evidence of collusion once upon a time. Uh, he was the person who came out and said that the, the Noon's memo about FISA abuse was completely incorrect, and he turned out to be wrong about that. And uh, and now he's come out and basically, if Dan, if we can see the story, the quote from Schiff, the Schiff quote is, we know this whole smear on Joe Biden comes from the Kremlin. Clearly, the origins of this whole smear are from the Kremlin and the president is only happy to have Kremlin help in trying to amplify it. Uh, and then he repeats, I think we know who the driving force behind this mirror has been all along. And it's been the president and the Kremlin. The Kremlin has an obvious like, OK, we get Wait, it.
1: Wait, I thought he knew. Now he thinks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and he, he yeah. just kept going on and, on and on and on about this. And
1: let's just be clear. There is much more evidence that Hunter Biden did this than there is evidence that it was Russians.
0: Yeah. There, there doesn't I don't really see the evidence that of Russian disinformation. I mean, there's a a remote possibility that there's some involvement in getting this material to to Giuliani, which would be a different thing. Uh, And and it's been frustrating to see people not understand the difference between disinformation or misinformation and, you know, adverse information, right? Or dirt right. or something right. like that. Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, this is this is Schiff's role. He's basically the guy who gets up on television and says the thing that just has no evidence or backing whatsoever. And, you know, right. and he's been doing this for four, for four years. So it was so conspicuous when they didn't invite him to the convention because, you know, he, he's been—he's like the black sheep of the party right, right now. Yeah. He's the person they get to do all the the, the hatchet work, and anyway, so that, like that, that was a to
1: show for it. Sadly,
0: well, yeah, I mean, right, yeah, they—they they might win this election.
1: No, 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 you're right, but I meant in terms of the impeachment stuff not being very featured in the DNC at the DNC.
0: Right, that or the. The yeah. Russia Gate thing never going. I mean they obviously plan for that to be an impeachment case. Yeah. Right, right,
1: right. I mean, you know what's interesting is that, um, and then I do kind of want to get back into what 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 this show is about about Hunter Biden, because I actually think that they really botched a lot of this oppo. But um what's interesting is that uh the Dems are so used to using Russia Gate as an excuse for anything. Anything that they don't realize they're actually not doing good defense. Like they're not spinning this effectively because Mm -hmm. they're admitting this is true by by not denying it. And it's so I think anyone who's again, Trump, I'm pretty sure is going to lose. So it's a moot point. But if it were still up for grabs and who knows, it's like everyone sees through this as bullshit, like no one who isn't already anti Trump uh, would ever see this and be like, well, you know, this is probably Russian disinformation, so we're going to ignore it. And in the meantime, there's a lot you could say and use this as an opportunity to say. Now, one of the ironies of this is that we see the Dems again being so out of touch with what matters to most to like to, to politically unengaged people, let's say people who aren't already hardcore Dems or hardcore Trump haters. Um, they always go to Russiagate and As much as, you know, obviously Biden supporters really circle the wagons around that, but it's not a very effective. I mean, I think other people, though, really see through it as a BS, as like just a PR move. And it's, they're not dealing with the allegations. And, you know, it's not like this is not a court of law where you get to not, where things are unadmissible because they were, because of the way they were presented, right? Like when there's, you know, when you get things through an illegal search, for instance that's different. Like this, the, the, the way this came out really doesn't matter because that's what happens in politics. And you can think that the other people who did that are like dicks for doing that. But it happens all the time. Right. And th- one of the pieces that I, I think is not effective, um, Oppo, is the te- the text exchange where where Hunter, I think, comes out as very sympathetic and Biden comes out as very compassionate. Hunter is like, I'm such a fuck up. I'm a you know, ruining and,
0: your political career, Yeah, right ruining now. your
1: political career. It's interesting because then then he's like, Dad, you have to run. you got to run or else like I can't. I don't want to ruin. Uh, he basically really encourages Joe Biden to run, which is kind of funny. It's um, funny. And then he's like, yeah, I'm going to call you later today to talk about running. But the part that's kind of sweet is that he's like, I wish I was there for you. My beautiful boy, you know, I love you. And that part is like the uh, compassionate part. The problem with that part is that it undermines or it's in great contrast with Biden's policy, his career with the. you know all the
0: oh his, his treatment of people non nonviolent drug offenders right exactly <laughs> what did he to say every major them. right yeah. every
1: major crime bill has this senator you know has the senator from Delaware's name on it and remember famously when we found Joe Biden's very good uh, motto slogan which probably is better than Build Back Better which was find the rationale
0: find the rationale find the rationale yep.
1: and that was when he was talking about like his the Rave Act right which allowed people it was like one of the many things he did that was totally draconian. And again, the, the, the crime bill and putting locking up people. So he's ruined the lives. He's helped ruin the lives of people who have done what Hunter did. And Hunter got rehab and compassion, which is what everyone should get, honestly, when they're struggling with addiction. So that that's the bad part. It's not that he was nice to his son. I mean, I think Republicans are so like some of them are just so craven and draconian that they think this is like embarrassing.
0: Well, yeah i mean they're trying to make a connection about the burisma story that they don't quite have yeah. and I, so that people understand i mean the burisma story is it's bad and it's it's not necessarily bad about joe biden it's really bad about hunter biden because i think what people probably they use words like nepotism this is what people do they cash in on their family name this is different this <laughs> this company The just so that people understand the timeline in 2014, after the Euromaidan revolution, uh, basically, they kicked out all of the, the oligarchs who had been in the Ukrainian government who were surrounding the sort of pro-Russian leader Yanukovych. One of them was this guy, Mikola Zlachevsky, uh, who, was, who had a number of different titles, including ecological minister under Yanukovych what he basically did in in office was give himself oil development licenses that he then privatized directly into his own hands through this company Burisma. He also uh, allegedly, right. And this is what some of the criminal cases uh, 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 allege is that he took licenses from existing businesses and basically handed them to himself. So it's, it's, he's a thief. Basically, this is a mob enterprise Burisma. When Zlochevsky got kicked out of office, they immediately went around and started hiring well-known Western people to put on the board of directors because they knew they were about to face all of these efforts to try to re their property, their stolen property. And so this is within a month of the revolution. They put the former president of Poland, uh, the, the college roommate of John Kerry's stepson, Devin Archer, uh, the sitting secretary of state right at the time, uh, and Hunter Biden on the board. And it's, it's a protection racket. They were they hired these guys to to try to to try to ward off attempts to re, reclaim stolen money. That's right. what this was about. And so if if there's any kind of connection at all with between Hunter Biden trying to get his father to intervene in any way, then that's a an order of magnitude worse, but it's already a really bad story. It just 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 it bothers me that that people keep playing down that aspect of it, you don't have to be like you don't have to love Trump to recognize that this right. is a bad thing, you
1: right? Know? And uh, yeah, so just to clarify, what is what makes it already bad? Which part of it is already bad?
0: The fact that he they would they he he was making eighty three thousand dollars a month. What what was that money for? That money was for to to buy the appearance of American protection. That's that's all that was for. Right. So that, so mean, that that's... other banks and other countries wouldn't seize their ass- assets. Other countries wouldn't prosecute. Right. Et cetera. Et cetera.
1: It is such gross nepotism, but the way that that people should be responding is pointing out what Trump has, although Trump really does get away with hypocrisy in a way that no one else does. I, I always make this point because his hypocrisy isn't hypocritical. Um, there's so much to point to with his kids.
0: Yes, absolutely. And, but and, but this would be equivalent to taking money from like the very worst, like Saudi actors, for instance. Right. Like the people I talked to this week, they had they were it sounds like. 13 or 14 different criminal cases involving this company uh, just in the last three or four right. years. I'm just saying that this is it's it's worse than being on the board of Amtrak for, yes, you know, right. the so, other like, thing by a lot. The other yeah. thing
1: that he's done, he should have yeah. stuck. He really should have just tried to get on the board of Greyhound, Right. Peter Pan. <laughs>
0: anyway, we've gone on about that.
1: But it's important. I think it's a really important story. And there's so many layers of it. And, and what are the things that, I mean, Trump's kids, like you have Jared Kushner, the big irony, is that you know the one thing where there was Michael Flynn like colluding with a foreign government was when he asked the Russian ambassador to get Russia to vote against that resolution condemning Israel, Israel for right. building settlements right mm-hmm. and that was apparently at the behest of um Jared mm-hmm. and so but because it's so again this is like the chickens coming home to roost or like the the Russia gate chickens coming home to roost or the Israel alliance coming home to roost. Like that's not a convenient thing for people to bring up because it involves Israel.
0: Right. Right. And uh, clearly the Ivanka and, and uh, Jared Kushner have massively enriched themselves through their association with their father and through the, and through their time in, in office. And and that all of that is, is fair game. Right. Right. Uh, it is, yeah. So but the, the, you, you you can't you can't use that to say that this isn't a story. That's all. No, I no,
1: think. I agree. Of course. And yeah. it also there's an art to it because you don't want to look like, well, yeah, I cheated. But look at the way this guy cheated even worse. Right. But that right. kind of is the most effective argument. And I just think it's ironic that it's so funny that like people who, who really think that they're experts in Russiagate, like if you ask them what they think about Israel, the Israeli question, they're like, what do you mean? I'm not talking about that. It's like, wait, it's literally probably one of the most important parts of it.
0: Right. Yeah, um,
1: but again, it's not politically convenient because people don't want to. Like, no,
0: they want to isolate the narrative and make it all about one thing. This is clean, and 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 it's not. None of this is. Yes. So yeah. and
1: ironically, again, because Putin, you know, because Russia did not agree, that undermines the argument about like Putin and, um, you know, it undermines the bromance argument because Putin right. didn't agree. So either they have an S and M relationship. Yeah, it's
0: it's complicated, right? Um, yeah. Yeah.
1: It's a messy thing. It doesn't really support Russia Gate, which is why, but it does support attempted collusion, right?
0: For sure. Absolutely. Which
1: is so funny. So, but they the Dems just didn't want to build their case around that. No, so. they
0: had they they clearly have an argument with other countries. Israel
1: right. Oh, and we even talk about the censorship part. So that's the other thing, which is that uh, you know, big tech totally showed its its true, you know, its colors this week by Last week, and it was really painful, I have to admit, to to do our interview with Antonio. And right after we finished that, this thing blew up. Yeah. Um, it's almost like Twitter and Facebook planned it that way.
0: They did. Actually, I think we even said off the air that that was going to happen.
1: Yeah. So the other part of the story is that you couldn't share that. It appeared in the New York Post, this story originally, and you couldn't share that link.
0: Yeah, the face Facebook and Twitter took two two different um approaches facebook was preventing people from uh sharing it uh basically temporarily they were saying until they could verify the contents uh and twitter went and they blocked the account of the white house press secretary kaylee McEnany. they prevented people from seeing it entirely um on multiple grounds, uh, on the grounds that it was hacked material, and they also right. said it was a doxing issue. I actually reached out to some people <laughs> at the company that night, uh, and they said that even if the hacking issue hadn't been there, they would have banned it for the for the doxing issue because there was private information in some of those emails. Um, but the, the, the issue is that they didn't do this for four years worth of illegally leaked, du- dubious, unproven, unverified stories. The the biggest example being probably anything related to the Steel dossier, um, right. which would, you know, they, they put out, uh, you, uh, you know, back in 2017. And of course there were stories that were based on it before then. Uh, but there was never any intervention with any of those P tape type stories, uh, which turned out to be, you know, much more dubious than they looked at the time. Uh, and uh, so, you know, people are going to look at that and they're going to say there's an obvious double standard Um And yeah, that's been my objection to the, to this thing the whole time. There's no way you can possibly do this censorship thing in a way that's, that's going to be equitable.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and also it's like, I was thinking about this, like, you know, this means that once you let big tech intervene, it's totally dangerous. It's things like the attacks on WikiLeaks or on, you know, uh, journalists who, who deal with hacked information. But I was actually trying to think of like, okay, near Tandon is fine with that. Like these people love that. They don't of care about the they double do. standards. And they, so, but if this standard were ever applied fairly, I mean, wouldn't the Trump tax things have to be – wouldn't they be dubiously sourced?
0: Yeah, and you, there's a whole universe of stories that would have to be blocked.
1: Yeah, if, um, which are anti-Trump stories.
0: Anti-Trump stories or, or- – you know pro-assange stories or you know uh any, anything involving li- wikileaks like those kinds of leaks that come out all the time think about the the fincen file stories the the, the money laundering right stories like the, the those were sort of you know the provenance of all those financial documents is probably would have triggered some of these policies so i yeah I, i'm I think just trying to know.
1: reach out to the wino moms and the new york Tandons out there who couldn't care less <laughs> about wikileaks but right. to show them that if this look, I mean, they're probably being rational actors about this because they're like, yeah, well, we are we're in tight with these people and they're not going to ever ban, uh, you know, prevent people from sharing links about Trump's taxes.
0: Oh, well, that's a cool. Of course, that's what they think. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just a bad look. And it's it's so overtly not consistent with how they treat other things. I mean, it's mm. not even close. Like we, they don't do this with other links.
0: No and and this is like a classic third world thing where you have one set of rules that's written and then there's another set of rules that's unwritten and everybody <laughs> knows knows what the real reason is uh you know for a thing being banned is uh so uh, that's that's a bad situation when you have like kind of t- two different realities that you're weighing constantly like yeah what's- and
1: and and then being attacked for sharing it because you're somehow working for the russians is like i don't even know that's like, a bonus are, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah a bonus okay yeah. so for Republicans suck we have u.s threatened sanctions after u.n embargo against iran it- Expires. So Secretary of State Mike Pompeo warned Sunday that the United States will slap sanctions on any individual or entity that assists Iran's weapons program, a move that will likely in- intensify tensions between Washington and Tehran. Um, last month, the United States unilaterally reimposed U.N. sanctions on Tehran through a snapback process and uh, tensions between Washington and Tehran have mounted after Trump's withdrawal from the landmark Iran nuclear agreement in 2018 calling it the worst deal ever. Hmm. So that's bad. Yeah. Um, again, it's so funny. Like if, if the Dems actually ever paid attention to anything besides Russia, uh, they'd maybe talk about this because, uh, again, this this arm, you know, this deal was worked out by Barack Obama. They talk about it a teeny bit, but not that much. And it's certainly disproportionate. And I bring it up for a couple of reasons. One, um, to remind people that Pompeo is a born again evangelical. And uh, two, because I feel like I have to speak out on behalf of very handsome, killed man, Suleimani. I knew
0: that's where this was going. I mean,
1: look, I got to speak. He's not around anymore, Matt.
0: I I understand that. Yeah. Who
1: will speak for Suleimani?
0: That's right. That should be
1: our tagline for this show. Useful idiots speaking for Suleimani.
0: That's right. The the voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And dead. The
1: yeah. And dead, dead, dead and, and voiceless, dead and voiceless. And, you know, people who often online will try to make this dubious connection between my acknowledging his handsomeness and my I my principle defense of necrophilia. And there's nothing there because I don't like necrophilia personally. I just question the way we talk about it morally and um, and you yeah.
0: haven't thought about it theoretically.
1: No, it's it really does disgust me. I don't mean to alienate the necrophilia block that I'm sure watches the show religiously uh, because there's a great likelihood that it will come up. Um, I don't I'm going to lose their support. It dis- I think it's disgusting, but it's not my cup of tea. But again, go- going back to my principle, as long as the necrophile necrophiliac is not religious.
0: Right. Yeah. As, lo- as long as it's just to you, a, a dead piece of meat.
1: Yes. Well, actually, I think this got cut. I wonder why, because it's because w- we're talking we're speaking truth to power. But I did make the point. I think I, you agreed with me, Matt, that the the ideal victim of. Well, I'm not going to say victim. The ideal subject of necrophilia is a hermit. With no living relatives. Right, so then there's nobody, absolutely no moral question. Yeah,
0: there's no moral question because there's no there's nobody who would be like freaked out by it, right? Except, exactly. Except on general like humane principles. Right. Yeah,
1: but right? they have no. But they are they. There's have no, no personal stake left. in it. Yeah, exactly. No skin in the game. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't even know where the pun is there, but it sounds like something. <laughs> they're,
0: they're, 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 yeah. No. No. No sloughing off skin in the game. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. 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 yeah exactly.
1: No. Yeah. But yeah, the Iran stuff isn't good. Anything that like you know ratchets up uh, tensions with any other country basically is bad. I would say that's my hot take. Um, It's never a good idea. Sanctions are never a good idea. And you know what they do do is they actually really stir anti-American sentiment and they strengthen the ideological legitimacy of governments because all governments, I mean, it's very useful to point to that. It creates a bunker mentality. It's a great distraction from the ways that governments are failing their people. They get to point to that. And obviously, I don't think Pompeo cares about the suffering. I mean, sanctions really lead to suffering and they are their economic warfare that results in death like they're they are fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, they're ineffective. And obviously, Pompeo doesn't care about that. But what I do think is interesting is that it does create more legitimacy for the government that's targeted.
0: That's right. That's right. Well, it's an ugly story, but uh, it's probably not going to get in the news because we're two weeks off from the election. And right. uh, yeah. Uh, all right. So for uh, Isn't That Terrible? I just want to get through this one quick because we, we got to talk about the important issue of the day. So yeah,
1: we can't let that um, shrink away from us.
0: Right. We can't get that. Let that shrivel. Um, shrivel. Yeah. Yeah. So just really quickly, Scientific American did a story that's kind of like the Isn't That Terrible of Isn't That Terrible? It's it's like. A compilation of all the the bad things that happened in 2020, uh, like a running list of all the the awfulness. Uh, Dan, if we could see that story, actually, this has been like a, a record-setting bad year in like many different ways. One of the first things they pointed out is that. Uh, this is only the second time in history that the official alphabetical list of hurricane names has been exhausted. Right. Uh, they've had to move to the supplementary list of Greek letter names, which I think we're on already. Right, we're on epsilon now. Is that is that what's coming? It's um, almost
1: like um, Muskian, Elon Muskian.
0: Right. They went and so there's a whole bunch of stuff about how this we've had more more storms this year and earlier this year than we've ever had big storms. Uh, then they went down to wildfires and. Uh, horrific numbers, uh, 4 million acres across California. This breaks all the previous records of uh, the the amount of territory that's been destroyed. And then there was um, an entry about rain and flooding. And if we could see this and it said, heavy rain sent water levels in the Titubowatsee River to record highs in May.
1: And where is that Uh, river located?
0: Well, it's funny that you asked that, Katie, because I had to look that up. And Dan, if we could get the the tape for how do we pronounce Tidabawasi?
2: We are looking at how to pronounce Tidabawasi, 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 (laughs) Tidabawasi. <laughs> Tidabawasi. Tidabawasi. What's Again.
1: weird is that, like, you just have to say Tidabawasi. 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 it's on the W.A. That's the emphasis. Where is it
0: in Michigan? Right. I think yes. It's in
1: this country yes, in the same. U.S. of A. Yes. What's the origin of it? Like what what language is it?
0: It's probably I'm guessing a Native American language. Right. Uh, you know, who we should
1: ask about that to have on as an expert
0: is uh is Elizabeth Warren?
1: Elizabeth Warren, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely we should. And if there's any any of the 10,000 residents from the Titobowasi
1: They just are going up and down in their cadence. It's
0: Like the water levels.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah, you're right. You're
0: right. Titobowasi. So that happened and it was bad and so that was that was isn't that terrible? Titobowasi.
1: Anyway, so for Isn't That Weird, this is a both Isn't That Weird and also Isn't That Validating. So um, I got a message from a fan of the show who actually lives in Beirut. A fan of the show messaged me and I just want to tell you, should, should I tell you what he said or should we just watch this?
0: You can tell me what he said.
1: All right. I was listening to your latest podcast with the snake and the toilet incident in Thailand and thought I'd share a close call I had with a less dangerous reptile. Okay, then I'll read the next two, two messages after we watch the videotape. That's a lizard in the toilet. <laughs> <Check this out. laughs> oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I think so too. He's like struggling. Oh, the last time I flushed it, he came back out. <laughs> I'm afraid to go to the bathroom. Who knows what else is gonna come out of here. So for people who are just listening to the show, um, we see a little lizard in a toilet bowl um, and then it is flushed, cruelly, I would say, cruelly flushed down the toilet when you could have easily just reached in there.
0: I would say coldly.
1: Coldly, yeah, you're right. There's not, it's not sadistic. It's just, it's just callous. It's, it's, yeah, it's just ca-
0: Callously, yeah, I think that's probably
2: better.
1: All right, so let's watch the next video from the same person and this is from the day after.
2: He came back. This fucking thing is back. (laughs) 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 Look
0: at that tail. Die. It's a (laughs)
1: long tail. Oh my god. (laughs)
0: Dude, take it out.
1: And now, as people can't see, but it's.
0: He's hanging on for dear life.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or is there a whole fucking family of these things living
1: inside? I want to say something in full disclosure to be transparent. Mm -hmm. I edited the second video.
2: You didn't
1: cut out the end because if I hadn't, I think it technically would have been a snuff film. Really? Because he flushes again and then it doesn't come back. Well,
0: that you, you flushed and didn't immediately come back the first time.
1: You're right. But if I ended on that note, it would look like I was condoning it. And it would have been very sad. I'm already sad that it happened. I really right. thought I was gonna have a happy ending. I'm hoping it comes back the next day. Right. But I can't, and I told him that I was very disappointed. And he said he is, you know, he, he feared for his life. And so he was, <laughs> I said, oh my God, you have to save him. And he goes, it's a bit late now. After the second day, he didn't return. I said, you committed lizard side. And he goes, not sure. He survived a couple of times. He's obviously a good swimmer. I don't even know if it was the same one where he just admitted possible manslaughter because it could have been another one. And then I told him, I'm only going to show the video up until the part where he returns, rises like a phoenix. And then the friend says, and anyway, he evaded, invaded my inner sanctum. It was him or me. I had to stand my ground. For all I know, he could have grown up to be an alligator. He posed a clear and present danger to my That's the standard, regions. yeah. I thought it was the gecko lizard.
0: I mean, you could have just taken the lizard out and let it go.
1: Yeah, that's, that's the nice thing to do. And you know he's trying to use the stand your ground thing. And you know what's so messed up about that is that if you're try to use that if you're a lizard and see how that goes.
0: Right, it doesn't really work that way. Right, that's that's he's got anti lizard privilege.
1: And it shows how embedded the privilege is that he thought it would be acceptable to film that. (laughs) (laughs) Because he knows he'll get away with it.
0: He knows that there are men around the world who will think that that is funny.
1: Right, I I knew you'd think it was funny. (laughs) Well, Uh, I mean. You're, you're one of those men around the world matt
0: right that yes. one right here i'm actually not anti lizard i i, no, I, I know. You're, lizard what out do you,
1: you would have you would have right but a yeah. caterpillar yeah. you would have taken the caterpillar i like, would have flushed. blended no you would have put it in a blender <laughs>
0: yeah, i would have put it in a blender that's true all right well that's the four food groups now now we get to get to the actual uh meat and potatoes of this yeah. show all right how do we how do we even introduce this
1: how do we unzip this story?
0: So everybody knows we're talking about Jeffrey Tubin's Zoom video. And if you don't know Jeffrey Tubin, what's your what's your first memory of Jeffrey Tubin, Katie?
1: I don't know. I feel like he's always been there. I honestly don't know what my first memory is of him. What's yours?
0: So for me, he kind of came into my life during the O.J. trial because he was the big uh, legal expert. He wrote a book called "The Run of His Life" that I actually. Had with me for years and years and years overseas. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a bad book actually. Uh, you know, he's a former prosecutor, so he's become uh, over the years he's kind of morphed into this very central figure in the New Yorker hierarchy. He was a, pretty commonly a, a commentator on the the RussiaGate stuff for for the New Yorker, and um, just kind of an overall kind of hashtag resistance. You know, central casting character. So I guess they were having a group Zoom, like a, an election simulation, election they were night. LARPing. They were LARPing. They were LARPing, LARPing like a, uh, like a uh, what, a contested election scenario? Like,
1: yeah, yeah. So Masha Gessen was like Donald Trump. Uh, who else were the characters? Uh, there was like someone playing establishment de- Dems, someone playing like Bernie Kratz. and uh, Tubin uh, was uh, representing the Supreme Court.
0: Right, he was the judge. And so at some point...
1: They took a break. Well, I so they took a break between, I guess, role play scenes or something between LARPing, they took a 10 minute break. And at this point, the first article about it made it just look like he had had his penis hanging out. But then it was revealed that he was actually, I guess, kind of engaging it.
0: He was flogging it, right?
1: He was he was masturbating. Yeah, he was masturbating. In fact, that like, guy, what's his name? Who I love the freedom fighter who has the penis sculpture? Oh, he the should, guy! Uh-huh. Yeah, who we have to have on. I finally found him on Twitter. He should do a. Um, he should. He should erect a, a Zoom and Tubin statue.
0: So what? He comes back from the break, and 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 his story is that he thinks he's muted.
1: He says he thought he muted the the video.
0: And so he sits down, and he's he already
1: can- sitting down. And was he
0: completely in flagrante or what?
1: He, he, they take the break. He's sitting down. And then all of a sudden, I think the, ca- and the camera had been like face, you know, facing his face. And then it flips. It moves down to his crotch and he gets to work. And his okay. excuse was that he thought that he didn't know people could see him.
0: So, OK, I, there's a couple of things going on here. I've yeah. never had an erotic thought during a Zoom call.
1: Maybe just haven't had the right Zoom call.
0: but i mean what possible excuse could you have for in the middle of a a, a, an election simulation like what how would that thought get into your head unless you had a unless you had something going on a
1: ginsburg fetish
0: a a ginsburg fetish
1: i mean keep planking very suggestive (laughs) that became the that became the motto of the resistance around her um (laughs) What else? Maybe the oh the what was the movie that Clarence Thomas apparently kept bringing up? Long dong. Oh, long dong
0: silver. Yeah. Maybe uh-huh. that
1: was it. Um, there's so many things. I mean, the gavel is very suggestive. We got actually a lot of like interesting, like kind of um, sexual identity. Like actually a lot of questioning of heteronormativity. I would say you got uh, John Roberts who played um, Patty Peppermint Patty in uh, in a play when he was younger. That's a character from what Snoopy and it's a woman Peanuts, yeah. Mm-hmm. peanuts. Yeah. Um, you have, uh, you know, the late Rehnquist, who is very into musical theater, added stripes to his shoulders, stripes to the robe um, because he was inspired by a fairy judge character. in I this is none of this is planned, by the way. I didn't come into this this story. With, I'm just like spitballing here. Yeah, but absolutely. Um, I just think, yeah. What would make you do that? I mean, OK. What do you think happened? I, I know I have my theory on what happened.
0: So that's the, the, the problem that I have is that I, I can't I can't get myself into the mental frame of mind where I where I can imagine that right. happening.
1: Now, you know how I feel when you told me when you asked me about how, to, how many uh, caterpillars could fin and blend. <laughs> um, but I think what happened was that he took a break. There was a break from from their reenactment. I mean, it could be a performative, um, you know, uh, s- uh, satirical criticism of the of the Supreme Court. But I'm going to say that's not what it was.
0: I think it's got it's got to be an anger thing towards his workplace. Don't you think?
1: Well, I, I just think maybe he's really no. into porn. <laughs> yeah. Wish I could unsee that. I'm just think he's really into porn or into porn. I don't want to say really. He had a break. He uh. felt he felt I don't know why. You know, maybe he had started doing this before and he was interrupted. He wanted to get back to it seems like a fairly um, diligent guy. Maybe, you know, he likes to finish what he starts. Um, And then he lowered he I think he probably had porn on another screen.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And he
1: got confused and was what and then was watching or he had the porn on this thing. That's probably what he probably had porn open on his laptop. Right. This is just one theory. He had porn open on his laptop. And again, by the way, this is as H- hypothetical. This is as not relatable to me as necrophilia is. So what you got to wait. For, so it's not like, oh, I get it. I've done this like during. Actually, you guys have to rewatch all the episodes of Useful Idiots and try to figure out which ones I was which doing ones you were during. watching yeah. porn during yeah, yeah, and
0: what porn it was.
1: Yeah. Well, what genre? Yeah. No. Well, we know we did. We watch porn publicly when we watched that um, Mark Levin and uh, Charlie Kirk porn.
0: That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it moved. Yeah.
1: Oh, you're smart. Aristotle. Um, so <laughs> <wing>. <laughs> actually, you wouldn't know even if you had a full body shot because, well, OK, I'm a woman. But the reason you don't know what Matt is is because he has the, the helpful um, the erection, obfuscation clipboard clipboard. In fact, if Jeffrey Tubin had watched this show. He would have known to always have and a boner obfuscating clipboard.
0: Clipboard. Right. Yes. So
1: Jeffrey Tubin, this is your I was about to defend you and I will defend you in a couple of seconds. But I am saying to some extent this could have been avoided if you watched this great show. OK, so back to what I think happened. I think he had the porn opened. He has a break. He's like wants to, you know, jerk off. And he thinks that when you mute because, you know, on Zoom, there's a camera and then yeah. there's a microphone. Even the way he said he muted the camera think he doesn't understand that and this is why i'm giving him the the ageism is his angle should be ageism that this right. is an ageist attack because he's not very zoom savvy
0: I mean, this um, is like, this is like a, a three-year-old who thinks that if you put a bucket over your head that they can't see you, Right? you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah.
1: So he presses the mute thing and doesn't press the camera off thing. Now, some people think it was like intentional, like he wanted to do it in front of like it was a thrill or an exhibitionist thing. I don't think that that's really the evidence is there for that. It could be that that could be I mean, the case.
0: Who, who could want that? I mean, he, he's he, his... For the rest of his life, this is going to follow him around. I mean, right. actually, this is an interesting philosophical question. What would Jeffrey Tubin have to do for this to not be in the first line of his of his obituary?
1: I mean, I think he needs to to call out this this culture this kink shaming in a way. It's uh, not kink shaming. It's moral. It's here's the thing. I actually don't. <laughs> I actually don't know go. if there's anything wrong with they're they're two very different things. If you were intentionally masturbating and watching people on the screen with whom you're having a meeting i mean there is the whole if a tree falls and no one hears it doesn't make a sound
0: you're right there is an interesting philosophical there is right but but you
1: are i think that's a violation no one may know about it but i do think it's a violation because you are um people don't know that you are pleasuring yourself to their image now it's not like the alternative Excuse me. I'm gonna. Do you have your consent to pleasure myself to your image? That's not going to work either. Right. So you're kind of screwed. Um. But I think there's a big difference between that and accidentally exposing yourself while okay. masturbating.
0: That's a good thing that you point brought, brought that up because noted media critic Brian Stelter came to to Jeffrey Tubin's defense. And Dan, if we could see that, he came
1: too. <laughs> all right <laughs> what does it say that what's the headline though cnn's brian stelter, stelter ripped, ripped over, over tweet, tweet about jeffrey Tubin. they really tore him a new one
0: yes so he tweeted jeffrey Tubin has been sidelined at a pivotal pivotal moment in the run-up to the uh presidential election the reason he exposed himself during a zoom call with new yorker colleagues in what he says was an accident and obviously people got upset because you don't accidentally lack it like I don't know. I'm going to
1: push back on this. I think that he I think I'm with Stelter on this. Really? Yeah.
0: I mean, it was accidentally disclosed, but you're not accidentally jacking off.
1: No, you're accidentally doing it visibly, though.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's two different things, though. Right. Yes.
1: And I do think, look, the fact that it was during a break is pivotal to me. (laughs) Now, if he was again, there is a moral difference. We have to look at the mens rea here. There is a moral difference between jerking off while watching. Now, also, I don't want to be presumptuous. Maybe he doesn't do it to porn. Maybe he just does it to whatever. For all I know, we don't know. But I do really think that there's a difference between doing it, doing it intentionally, watching the people on the screen who don't know that you're watching them Mm -hmm. and just accidentally leaving your camera on. Right. Because also, if he put the camera to his crotch, he can't see them.
0: That's true. So
1: it could be exhibitionism, but it's I don't think that's true. I don't think he wanted them to see it. So the more I think about this, the more moral clarity I'm getting about it. And I think he almost did nothing wrong.
0: He almost did.
1: His mistake was not shutting off his camera
0: yeah the, the, there's the morality here is is separate from the, the you know the internet consequences i mean this is you know what's the line somebody's famous on twitter every day and uh, the goal of everyone is not to be that person right right and uh yeah, and he's like going to be that Cooper. person for the next six years Tubin is going to become a word
1: yeah zoom and Tubin. I, I really think that i i disagree with you matt because i i the world i want to live in is a world where we look at the We don't just look at the outcome. We don't just look at what happened. We look at the mitigating circumstances. We look at the context. And that's why if you kill someone accidentally. It's manslaughter. And if you plan it, it's murder. Um, And I don't think he committed masturbatory murder. I think maybe masturbatory manslaughter if we're just using that equivalent.
0: The last thing I will say about this is that I think clearly Jeffrey Tubin right now probably feels like he'd like to put himself on a rocket and shoot himself into space right. and, and never come back. But the only way to handle a situation like this is to go completely the other way and to embrace your new identity as the person who jacked off on the Internet.
1: Right. You uh, open right? door. I mean, this is a game changing moment. You may change the way I think people are going to be forced to come down on one side or the other of this issue.
0: He needs to he needs to get himself a deal for a reality show. Yeah, he needs to start a political career. You know what I mean? And, yeah, and, I agree. and, and base everything on his newfound internet celebrity. Right. Like, I agree. You know what I'm saying? Like, Push back uh, yes, on the that,
1: shaming. Why should he yeah. be shamed for it? Right. Again, exactly. it's, it's a combination of ageism and um, heteronormativity and kink shaming.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. I did something stupid. Yeah, I did it. But by the way, vote for me for president. Like that's the way he should be. That's the way to handle that.
1: Yeah. Maybe, you know what? Maybe he couldn't concentrate. Maybe he had to, in order to participate meaningfully in this role play, maybe he needed to finish what he started.
0: Yeah. I don't don't think he did. I think he just wanted to, I think he was just, well, I don't know. He's going to have to explain at some point, but. uh,
1: Jeffrey, please come on the show. Look, This is a big deal. Matt Taibbi, I'm sure you disagree with him on Russiagate stuff. But if you want to clear your name, there's one show and one show only where you can do that. I've done wonderful work um, uh, like de-stigmatizing necrophilia. uh, I'm a major um, civil rights, civil libertarian when it comes to penis art. And I think I could do wonders for you. And uh, (laughs) just
0: put on a tie and nothing else and and turn on that Zoom and we'll talk. All right. Before we run out of time uh, quickly and we're going to be talking to pollster Ben Tolchin, we got to talk about one quick one thing quickly. Um, This magazine Rolling Stone came out with an endorsement of Joe Biden this week. And uh, Dan, if we could see the, the graphic.
1: Yeah. So we're looking at the cover. It says Biden's moment, why he is the right leader to rebuild America. He's what would you say? He's three quarters profile.
0: Yeah, and he's uh, kind of he's kind of looking up with satisfaction up at some some fixed object in the sky. Yeah, all right. Slightly uh, above,
1: uh, yeah, he's slightly above eye level. His gaze is slightly above eye level. Um, I don't know if it's satisfaction. You think it's satisfaction? I feel like it's like
0: deter- steely determination, maybe something
1: like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a blue sky with um, clouds, like light. You know, not ominous. Cl- no, there's no there's no portending of rain or anything.
0: So you know, Rolling Stone did this and look. I get it. I'm I, I'm probably going to vote for Joe Biden myself, and I, I think there's there's clearly a, a way that you can endorse him. Uh, but they wrote it a certain way, uh, as where they not only said, okay, well, we gotta we gotta vote for this guy because we don't have a choice. They actually sort of wrote it as if it was a really good idea, and they wrote this thing. Uh, here's a couple of lines that I thought you might you might be um, interested in, Katie. Uh, Think of it as a coalition of the decent, ranging from Bernie Sanders, Barbara Lee and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez on the left to never Trumpers, John Kasich, Cindy McCain and Bill Kristol on the right. So that's who we're voting. That's the,
1: all right. So we- there's no one on decent that they listed on the right, first of all.
0: Right. Like there's uh, no
1: not there, no decency there.
0: And they concluded by saying this is a fight between light and darkness. Uh, Rolling Stone is proud to stand in the light and endure. Uh, Joe Biden for president, vote like your country and perhaps even your life depends on it. Look, I, I think my my two cents on this is the way you do this, this editorial is just to say, look, he's running against Donald Trump. You got to vote for him. Right. So we Rolling Stone are going to like a hunchback abusing himself in the alley are going to go do our duty and just pull the lever for this guy mm-hmm and uh right. we think you should do that too because that's really the only rational choice right here you know this whole pretending that joe biden is a great dude and and uh and a terrific choice I, yeah i just don't know about that I, I i don't i don't think i would have written it that way necessarily Yeah,
1: i mean i've had a few guests on this show i'm looking for this michael moore quote where he says he'll vote for biden but he won't lie for him also, I had a um, friend of this show, uh, Adolf Reed on the show, uh, who said that, you know, the way he saw his motto for why people should vote for Biden was Biden Harris, because sometimes you got to just clean the damn toilet. So he's not fans of either theirs, but he just thinks that, I guess, using that metaphor, Trump is like, you know, more of a stool, I guess. I don't know. Like Right.
0: A, that would have been my, my cover. It would have been just, yeah. you know, roll, like... You look at the big shit sandwich.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right?
0: And like America taking a bite. You know what I mean? Oh well,
1: Nina Turner said like it's like one bowl of sh- eating one bowl of shit versus two bowls of shit. That's how <laughs> yeah, she compared. Exactly, that yeah. is how she compared um, Trump and Biden. Biden and um, Harris,
0: twenty twenty, one bowl, one of, bowl shit. of shit. One yeah. scoop.
1: One, one shit scoop.
0: scoop. Yeah. One shit exactly. Scoop.
1: Or, What's wrong um, with that?
0: Why, why, well, do, here's I mean,
1: yeah. And Marianne Williamson, by the way, on my show told me vote blue like your life depended on it because it just might. So that I think those things are much more honest than or I think another thing to embrace is um, vote for the neo, because neoliberalism is easier to organize under than neo-fascism. Um, that's another argument that Cornell West makes, doesn't, for instance, doesn't
0: fit on a bumper it's sticker, not a although, bumper sticker
1: right? but um, anyone who already likes Biden you know, loves him uh, or pretends to love him. Anyone who's on the fence about him reads this. And it it's like it's not convincing at all. No, mm-hmm. you don't win any converts because it just looks like you're selling, you know, a a, a bill of what? What's the expression?
0: Goods, I think. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, you're just selling a shit sandwich and pretending it's it's a BLT. It is annoying, I have to admit, because it's like. There's so many annoying people on both sides of this. There are the obviously annoying like people who who always hate people like me who are just like Biden is the best. And how could how dare you? There's a lot of privilege uh, discourse about privilege. Um, How dare you? Uh, Why are you helping Trump? And then on the other side, though, when I've made the argument that Trump is worse than Biden, I get the like you neoliberal shill MSNBC. Mm. It's just like. Vote for whomever you want, I guess. Except I think that in swing states, well, what do you actually? What do you think about like? Do you think that it's important to vote? Well, you said you're probably going to vote Biden? If you don't vote Biden, what would you do? Not vote. Write in crazy crab.
0: I, yeah, I would think about crazy somebody man. like. I mean, uh, didn't, Hunter Thompson in 1968 says he famously said he, that he voted for Dick Gregory, the comedian. You know, this is this is one of those kind of like unappealing choice years Uh
1: i mean i think um what it is is a harm reduction argument and this right. is not a harm reduction argument this is glowing they, they pretending to super a, progressive
0: a, a turd like you know heroically portrait you know uh like a portrait of that looking off in the distance like back backlit you know
1: yes you're right and you know what they could have had they could have With had an open like, collar yeah, a turd and open collar. <laughs> and then also they should have had a turd in open collar fighting face to face with a huge. Turd, huge turd. <laughs> yeah. And like then you do the David and Goliath thing. Yeah, that's really the optics you need. In fact, Rolling Stone, if you want to talk to me or Matt, we're open to it. We have some really good ideas about how you can actually win people over for Biden. Well,
0: next time they'll know to talk to us. That's all. I think that's that's the long and the short of it. All right. So we're going to talk to uh, Ben Tolchin, who's going to give us the lowdown on uh, what we should uh, expect on election night and how we should read the results and what what to look for, what not to look for, how to things to worry about in terms of the accuracy of the the polls. It should be a really interesting conversation and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah. So uh, welcome, uh, Ben Telsham, to Useful Idiots.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: So you have been a high-level pollster for a long time. You worked, obviously, you were Bernie Sanders' pollster in 2016 and in this election cycle as well, but also worked, I think, with Howard Dean uh, once upon a time, Gray, uh, Gray Davis, and a lot of other politicians, and you, you, talk, you spoke recently with the New York Times about uh, Joe Biden and how he might do better this time than Hillary Clinton did last time with some voters. Can you tell us a little bit about what what your perception of that is and what, why he might be um, gaining votes that Hillary didn't get?
2: Yeah, sure. Look, I mean, 2020 is a very different election than 2016. First of all, we've had four years of Donald Trump, and he's shown to voters uh, what kind of president he is. And, and quite frankly, you know, he's fundamentally failed the leadership test, especially when it comes to COVID. Um, and so voters now have had to assess a body of work on his behalf over the last four years. And so now he's the incumbent. And what happened in 2016 is Hillary Clinton, having been a product established and having served in Washington for many years, she was seen as the de facto incumbent. So a lot of undecided voters were frustrated with the way things were going, um, you know, but, you know, moved against her. It was kind of brought about Trump's surprise win. But now Trump's on the ballot. He's in the White House. He's the incumbent and voters are assessing his performance in office. And they've been, his job approval has been consistently negative for, for you know, since he started uh, his term in office. And so uh, he's now, uh, the center of attention's on him now and his job performance is present, so it's very different.
0: But you you, you, you said that uh, Biden specifically, he's like, he's tough to hit, right? Was the way you characterized it, I think. it Obviously going against him in the primary season, what, what makes him a difficult candidate to assess uh, in terms of like how people are going to re- how people are going to respond to him,
2: yeah, I mean he's he's a likable guy, right? And, and and people are very familiar with him. He was vice president for eight years, uh, and they're comfortable with him. And we saw that in the primary from you know working for Bernie. I mean, Biden was consistently in first place, and our job at Bernie was try to supplant him from first place, and we found it very very difficult. And um and and look, you've seen what happens in the what's happened in the general election. Uh, Trump's had a hard time figuring out a line of attack against Biden and sticking with it. Um, and and I think, you know, at the fundamental level, voters kind of like Biden and are comfortable with him and, um, you know, feel like he's a good guy. And so once you have that, and he, the fact that he's been, you know, in the public eye for a while, that voters are comfortable with him, it's hard to dislodge that, right, from, from, from voters. And so we experienced that in the primary working against him um, from Bernie's campaign, and, and you see Trump struggling to really make any real inroads against Biden and a negative attack. And and, and I think that that likability um, carries over. I mean, he's, you know, the Scranton Joe you know, side of him, I think, comes out in many ways. And, and um, he's a hard guy to attack.
0: And, and is it, it in the last election, Trump did well with uh, voters who were older. He also did well with voters who were ambivalent about both candidates. Um, it, does Biden do well, well with both of those constituencies? I mean, it seems to me that what you're talking about with that the, uh, inability to dislodge the positive perception of him, that that might be more true with older voters than younger voters.
2: Uh, but is, is, is
0: that going to help him there?
2: Yeah, I mean, look, if you look at polling nationally and a state by state basis i mean biden's beating trump by 10 points with seniors and that's not a constituency that's uh all that progressive it tends to be older more caucasian more conservative uh and and it, you know there, there are two factors i would say with seniors one is trump's mishandling of the coronavirus i mean seniors are most at risk of it and he's trump's literally been putting their lives at risk so right. um so that's one part but the other is um just biden's demeanor his he's Follows proper protocols i mean and and seniors are comfortable with them and in his moderate politics, quite frankly, make uh, uh, seniors more comfortable with Biden than they would a more progressive Democrat, for example. I mean, the trade-off between Biden and Bernie, for example, had Bernie won the nominees. Bernie inspires young people, uh, but he doesn't do as well with with, with, with seniors, right but biden uh, now Trump is motivating. Young people and, and and Biden has been able to consolidate young people, Latinos, and, and voters. He wasn't winning over in the primary uh, because of the Trump fear factor, but but the fact that Biden is winning seniors consistently uh, uh, by ten points over Trump really tells us that. It, it, for me, in looking at, at data, I think it's the the, the COVID factor plus they just the decorum, the fact that that, that they see Biden as, as 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 you know experienced and has the ability to do the job and they're comfortable with him.
1: Presidential. Um, I'm I, of course, think that I've always said this and not just because I liked him, but I always thought Bernie had a pot- like a potential leg up on Biden in a couple of ways, which is like the corruption stuff or lack thereof, the consistency and like the unapologetic nature of his campaign and his personality. Um, I mean, I, I thought that Biden when we were watching the debate, I I thought that Biden I think I said that I thought he won. But while I was watching, I kind of thought he was losing. But I mean, I do think and I'm I'm curious what the data there is for this, that Bernie in terms like one of Trump's biggest strengths is going after people's hypocrisy because he doesn't ever claim to be anything. Like he has no consistency issues and Sanders is so consistent. So that was I, th- I thought like a, yeah, would that a would that have been shield. a strength
2: for 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 Bernie? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, look, Bernie had a lot of strengths, right? He is authenticity. Uh, and that's one of those intangible traits in politics that's uh, invaluable and very hard to achieve and obtain. Uh, and he also had a very very clear economic message, right? His sense of, uh, you know, rigged economy propped up by corrupt political system, taking on the uh, economic status quo, political status quo, or was failing so many people. And obviously with COVID that's accentuated it beyond belief, right? Um, But the thing with what's happened with COVID is, uh, you know, real people's lives are getting impacted on a daily basis. I mean, all of our lives are, right? And this is, we're doing this by Zoom because we were all working by Zoom these days. And so, um, and so this election became much more consequential, quite frankly, and, uh, and then Trump's leadership is now, I mean, he, it's because elections evolved into a referendum on his leadership, especially his failure of leadership on COVID. And as a result, um, you know, Biden is essentially the acceptable alternative to Trump. And so it's less about Biden, Biden's, I mean, you know, whatever strengths and weaknesses are, he's proving this to be a viable, acceptable alternative to Trump. And and quite frankly, if you look at polling and, you know, Bernie's campaign, we looked at a lot of polling and, and the general election polling, both Bernie versus Biden, and Biden's lead has been remarkably stable. I mean, there's been ups and downs, but over the last two years, uh, he's been consistent, as was Bernie. Bernie and Biden were both leading Trump by eight to 10 points nationally. And what happened with COVID, it just solidified the race in Biden's favor and the Democrats' favor. Um, but uh, but yeah, no, so it, it's been, um, COVID really changed the race in terms of what each candidate had to offer, what the race was about, and what Biden really had to offer it, 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 to, to, to prevail.
1: There was that... Uh was it Naomi Klein or Kianga Yamada Taylor, who wrote that piece that like Bernie won reality and, and like if it had been delayed a couple of days or weeks, he would have won the primary. Uh, is there anything to that?
2: Oh, man, that's a whole nother show. I uh, the All primary. Right, we'll... I, I, I mean,
1: oh, gosh.
2: I, I mean, the primary, the challenge of the primary was, you know, look, beating a former vice president of the United States is very hard to do, right? And uh, you know, look in the track record of nominations. I mean, the, the former VP, sitting VP tends to win pretty handily. And, um, you know, it was very hard to displace him in and, and the battle, the primary. I mean, what we saw was the battle was uh, Biden was doing very well with uh, older non-college educated voters, white, black, and Latino. Um, Bernie was doing very well with the younger voters, especially younger non-college voters, including whites, blacks, and Latinos. And the battleground between Bernie and Biden was 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 basically middle aged uh working class voters, white black white black and Latino. And Bernie won Nevada when he lost it four years previously. Bernie added Latinos to his progressive coalition and expanded it um to his coalition of younger uh voters, millennials in particular, and and um independents and, and left leaning Democrats. Um so Bernie was made it a very contested primary. And then ultimately we were uh, unsuccessful in dislodging those uh, middle-aged working-class voters from, because they, they like Bernie, they like Biden a little bit more, they're a little bit more comfortable with Biden. And so we had, as a campaign, what we had to do was make them feel a little bit less comfortable with Biden and more comfortable with Bernie. And we were able to do that in Nevada. And then, um, you know uh we just fell a little bit short but anyway that's relitigating the primary but uh but, but 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 that's to biden's strength right i mean the voters just we saw they just felt comfortable with him right and 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 it took a lot to get a voter to say i like bernie i like biden i'm sticking with biden and it took a lot to get them and we didn't quite get enough to move them over. But what's happened in the general election is that comfort that voters have, including working class voters, uh, is turning into real strength for Biden, right? I mean, that, that's really what's coming out in the general election and why he's doing well in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, that, uh, you, you know, that Trump ended up winning. But that's why Biden's, if you look at the map, right? I mean, Biden's competitive in Ohio and Iowa right now. We lost those states badly four years ago um he's you know michigan pennsylvania wisconsin he's got a sizable lead there that's reflective of the national lead uh so you know he honestly his strength with working-class voters including working-class white voters uh is helping him perform better than 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 four years than hillary did four years ago
0: so 2016 was has the business of polling been affected a lot by what happened in 2016 i mean obviously that was a A race where, at least in the press, all the prognosticators were completely wrong uh, uh, from the very beginning. Uh, They were absolutely certain Trump wasn't going to win the nomination, and then they were certain, again, that he wasn't going to win the general election. Uh, Were there conclusions that had to be drawn about maybe things that were being missed, or or uh, have there been changes that have been made since
2: then? Uh, Yeah, look, I mean, the industry's uh, still recovering from 2016. I mean, all and so are Democrats, quite frankly. I mean, like for 2020, when, you know, there's a lot of good data, the early ballots are really heavily Democratic, the polling's really good, and yet no one wants to go out there and say it's going to be a blue wave because we're all shell-shocked from 2016 and, uh, we're, you know, enduring PTSD. But so what's happened from 2016 to now is a pretty significant evolution in the business or in the industry. I mean, what was 2016 was heavily reliant on phone only surveys. Now we do what's called multimodal, which is you're contacting people by emails, cell phones, uh, and text messages to their cell phones. So the percent of people we actually call landlines now is, is diminishing as, as, as landlines, you know, you know, disappear, essentially. Um, so that, that's, so we're able to reach people through different uh, mediums now. And that, 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 you know, and for me, what, what we've seen in our own research, for example, is we do emails, texting, cell phones, and landlines. And we, we found with emails, we tend to get more middle-aged white Republican leading man, right? I mean, who you know uh, uh, it will take time away from their email to, to respond by email, but we may not be able to get you know. There's criticisms like 2016 was there a silent Trump voter that pollsters weren't reaching, um, and you know we've seen, seen like if you reach people in different ways, young people tend to respond to text, for example. Uh, seniors will still answer a landline, so now we try to reach people from different mediums and, and able to get a better cross section of of voters, but. Um, look, I mean, the national polling had Hillary winning the national vote by two points, and that's essentially what it was. So some of the state by state polling, um, you know, missed the mark. But, um, you know, the other piece of, uh, of it was, uh, y- you know, how badly did they miss the mark? Undecideds tend to break against the incumbent. And then, as I mentioned earlier, like, like Hillary is seen as the incumbent, both Hillary and Trump were seen as unpopular, right? And so if you have two unpopular candidates running against each other, but you're angry at the status quo, you're going to vote for the change candidate. The difference in 2020 is Biden's his favorables are positive. Like he's now gotten a, a, a net positive favorable, unfavorable rating. And uh, Trump is un- continues to be unpopular, right? So now, if you're undecided voter, you're like, I don't like Trump, I have mixed feelings about Biden. It's a lot easier to break the bite, right? And so that's another fundamental difference where you look at what the polling and what happened in 2016 you know, yeah, short sure, miss. Some of it missed the mark, but actually, there, it made sense, right? It made sense that voters said, "Okay, uh, I'm reacting against." Uh, I'm I, I, undecided voters who are uh, disproportionately uh, downscale or frustrated with the political status quo, frustrated with the economic status quo. Uh, you know, kind of moved against the uh, quote unquote like being the establishment candidate for the change candidate.
1: You should hire uh, Ben Jealous. Because he uh, I had him on show the show, night like the night of the the day, the election day we did. The whole interview was like about how to hold Hillary Clinton's feet to the fire when she won. And then at the end of the interview, I jokingly said, like, we should tape two endings in case Trump wins. And he's like, huh fear the possibility that Trump wins. And then he's like, there's, there's cicada voters. Like they don't get polled because if you don't vote a certain number in the last cycle, you won't get polled. And there are two things that bring those people out. And that is uh, extremism and celebrity. And Trump is both of them and the unlikely voters, people think that it's black or Latina, but there's also unlikely white. It was like, Oh, and it was basically exactly what happened.
2: Yeah. So Ben and I worked together closely on the Bernie's 20, 2016 campaign. He's a very talented and bright guy. And look, I mean, those of us who, worked for Bernie in 2016, not to say that we predicted Trump's win, but we saw the anger and frustration and uh, that 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 a large segment of the electorate had, that they were frustrated with the economic status quo, frustrated with the... Why was Bernie so successful in 2016? He tapped into something, right? He tapped into a lot of people who were frustrated economically, frustrated with politics as usual. And unfortunately, you, you know, but 4 years later there are even more people who are facing economic and financial despair and seeing our government federal government fail so miserably so it's only you know exponentially worse now but it's more obvious right so it wasn't under the surface like it was in 2016 and and like that's part of the establishment i mean you know the problem with the beltway right is it's a upper middle class you know comfortable uh cocoon it's a bubble and it really struggles that the media and politicians and ensconced in in the beltway really struggle to kind of connect with uh the rest of america and and their times to pay a price for it
1: and then it seemed like that is a a positive like bernie's someone's ability to tap into people and like bring them out to another side right like you're angry i get it but don't blame muslims and mexicans um you know, blame greed, right? As opposed to the like your basket of deplorables. Um, But I think that these out of touch, like people who just talk to each other and have like, you know, the same dinner party circuit or whatever, they saw that as a negative because they didn't understand that. And they had contempt for, I think, Sanders ability to speak to those people.
2: Yeah, look, I mean, it's one of the challenges that we face as a democratic party our coalition is largely upper middle class uh caucasian uh liberals right and with our working class voter is uh latino and african american with a declining share of white working class like labor union members as the labor you know share of the labor union workforce declines the democratic party's support among white non college Voters has declined over the last, you know, few decades. So, so if you look at that coalition, and it obviously depends on the state. The always the limitation that Bernie had, where he had his pop, progressive populist economic message, speaking to a party which, um, you know, a majority is college educated and has done okay in the rigged economy, right? So, so they, you know, lefties who've grown up and become, you know, upper middle class are like, I like Bernie, but I'm more comfortable with. Elizabeth Warren or Joe Biden or Hillary Clinton, whoever the more established friendly candidate is so um, so that's why I mean but Bernie took it to unprecedented heights I mean getting you know essentially getting uh, you know forty six percent of the pledge in 2016 in and, and, and emerging as a real contender in 2020 that we, and Warren's message is similar like a progressive populist economic message there's clearly enough potential for that message into our party, but it's it's challenging because of our coalition and, and who you know who the who the party is made up of. So you know it's hard to take criticize the rigged system when a good chunk of your voters have benefited from uh, you know the economy as it is. So it, that that's an internal conflict. But look, I mean, Obama ran as a populist in 2012. Remember, I mean, against Mitt Romney, but you know he gave his the Warren Buffett rule, and he, he you know he railed against wealthy special interests. So. Uh, you know, populism doesn't have an ideology. It's not left or right wing. It's how you channel it. And to your right. point, it's it's like you know you can either target you know uh, you know the bad guys as immigrants or 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 what have you, or you say, hey, Wall Street banks and greedy corporate special interests are the bad guy. Let's channel this anger pro- from a from a progressive standpoint, from a from a uh, you know left wing standpoint. So so that's populism, and you know, and obviously Trump mastered that in 2016 to win. Um, and you know, now it's, there's not, I mean, still have a lot of anger and frustration, but the good news is Democrats are motivated enough uh, with enough anger towards Trump that they're showing up to vote, to vote him out of office now. I mean, that Biden doesn't, isn't in a populist and he isn't pretending to be one, um, uh, but he just needs to be the acceptable alternative to Trump to, 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 let that anger flow somewhere.
0: So in terms of, uh, what happens on election night, um, what, what Is is there a route to victory that actually still exists for Trump and what should we be looking for on that night? Like, for instance, if he if he doesn't win Florida, he's not going to win, basically. Right. I mean, are are there are there things that we can know right away as the returns come in or if Biden wins Texas, for instance, is that is is it over at that point? Like what what are some indicators that you're looking for?
2: Yeah. I mean, so think about the time zone. Right. If you're watching it. you know, New Hampshire was was very close last time. And that was kind of an early sign that, oh, gosh, you know, it was close. Right. It was very much closer than any of us anticipated. Um, North Carolina, Florida, neck and neck. So if, if you know, look, I mean, Trump has to win both of those. So if one of them, uh, Biden has a lead. And, and, and what's going to be fascinating election night is Democrats are banking all these early votes. So normally we're behind and play catch up. Right. But now we're going to have a lead and the big thing to watch is election day co- vote comes in how republican is it, right i mean there's rumblings of this red tide there's this big blue tide uh blue wave coming in and the red tide can co- 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 follow um and that's really to see so that the problem is matt is we're gonna have to wait a long time because mm. you're gonna start with a big lead and then it's gonna close and then we're all gonna be you know biting our fingernails but um Look, I mean, I've just you. I've done a lot. Analyzed the early vote that's in so far, in, in, in all these swing states, and it's very encouraging. I mean, just um, who? It's not just the most likely voters are voting. i mean, I'm working uh, in Arizona, you know, a huge swing state, right, on presidential, Senate race, um, and I'm looking at the early returns, and they're heavily Democratic, which is unprecedented. But we're 25 uh, percent of the Democratic vote that's in. Either are either newly registered or people have no vote history, right? So they're, these are not high propensity voters. So we're getting a decent mix of newer, younger, more progressive, you, you know, voters who've never voted before, who voted or infrequently, but infrequently. So, so, but, but, but the thing to look at. So it's you know, North Carolina and Florida on the East Coast, right, New Hampshire, those three states, um, and then you know, as you move to Central Time Zone, Iowa, and all uh, so Ohio's East coast too. Right. So, uh, Ohio is, is, I mean, you know, it's very competitive. Trump's struggling with money right now. So he's paring back his advertising in Ohio. It wasn't a state that the Biden campaign for, what I understand was prioritizing, but now it's in play. Uh, but, but North Carolina, Florida are the two States that we, we lost in 2016, where Biden has a slight lead based on recent polling. And, um, we should have a decent lead on the early vote and then the election day vote as it comes in will help determine it. But those are the two key states I'd watch for, followed by uh, you know, Ohio, also East Coast, and then Iowa uh, in the Midwest. Texas is a bonus state. I mean, uh, I, you know, it'd be it, polling shows is close, fighting slightly behind, but but that's 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 a true wave if we win Texas. But it's really, I, I'd say, North Carolina and Florida, and then you have a Senate race in North Carolina too. So that's also an indicator of how whether Democrats gonna win back the Senate because and Iowa, Iowa and North Carolina have the two big Senate races. Georgia is also very very close. It's further down in terms of likelihood to win, but all the polling shows it's very, very close, dead even, Uh, and you have two Senate races there, but but one may be determined on election night. So I put Georgia, but 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 again, if you look at where money has gone and resources and focus of all the both candidates, North Carolina and Florida are 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 top two.
0: How uh, does COVID? Uh, affect the way you, you can predict the outcome. In other words, uh, you don't, We don't have a lot of data on how people are going to behave on election days during during a pandemic. So, is it is it difficult to predict, or is it more difficult to predict than it would be in a, in a normal situation?
2: Yes, yeah, sorry, it's radically changing voter behavior. We have some uh, data. For example, um, in California, there was a a special congressional election, um, the twenty fifth congressional district in 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 um, March of this year. And it was as COVID cases were rising, right? And typically, Democrats, Republicans, old white voters, Republicans vote heavily by mail early. And we rely on the Election Day vote with younger Latinos and more progressive voters. And we make up the diff To win, we have to make up the difference on Election Day. It flipped. We won the early vote, but lost the Election Day vote by two to one. To, to this point, of Democrats were scared to show up in person. Republicans were like, "I'll show up in person without a mask. I don't care." And and it had a pretty dramatic impact. And you're but and you remember Trump has been uh, trashing voting by mail, right? So and and so what's happened is uh, you this early vote that's come in. Uh, is heavily Democratic. He's basically suppressing his own base vote from voting by mail. (laughs) So now the Republicans have to do what Democrats normally do, which is rely on a very big election day. Um, And that's why I'm I'm pretty bullish on this election, because we're banking votes even among less likely voters. And you're going to have a campaign where the polling has been pretty steady. Biden's been winning by you know, eight to ten points pretty consistently. And you know, you're gonna have a pretty negative losing narrative, negative Trump losing narrative around the Trump campaign. even Republicans are starting to trash him now. And that's hard to motivate your vote, your base vote on election day when there's all this talk of him losing. right. Now, look, some could rear up and say, I'm not giving up on him, but but you know, even if you have a margin of five or ten percent, of depression and, and the, the Republican base vote that's that's has huge impact given because our vote's are already in and bank so so look it, it's it's absolutely changing I mean you look at the how many ballots are in it's it's unprecedented I mean it's already motivating our our side Democrats were already motivated to begin with but with the COVID and pandemic and early and, and voting by mail we can now channel that energy and actually turn ballots in whereas before you'd have to sit around and wait till election day to do it so it's it's already changing behavior but what's going to happen is Election Day typically is neck and neck, or we have a slight advantage on Election Day after losing the early vote. Now we're going to have a big advantage on the early vote, and and the Republicans are going to – we're going to see how how, how many Republicans show up on Election Day. So it's it's radically different and unlike anything we've ever seen before.
1: And how many – like how many – what would the turnout have to look like for it to eclipse your – erode your – your win, like erode you your advantage. In other words, like if there are a bunch of Republicans who don't believe in, you know, if a bunch of Dems stay home because they believe in in the COVID, that COVID's real, and then you have a bunch of Republicans, uh, the ones who are coming out, right, would be maybe the ones who are the most skeptical of it. Um, how many of those people would have to come out for it to be or well it's good. It,
2: yeah. Well, it's it all depends on how many votes we get in the beginning, right? right. So that's that's the irony of of. Um, but we are banking so many votes right now. We have this hugely nationally and in pretty much every swing state that, um, uh, no, I, it's just uncharted waters. We've never ever been, we're always coming from behind, right? And so now we have this lead and, it, it, and then it's, it, it's completely dependent on um, uh, election day, turnout among Republicans. And obviously our there's a slice of our vote that has to show up and vote on election day, of course. Um, and, but what's typically happening, if you look at who's voting, like younger uh, voters, Latinos are lagging right now in turnout, but they typically do lag a little bit. Like California work. I do a lot of work out here. That's typically the case. He takes a lot of GOTV and pushing them to get them out to vote. Um, but uh, no, I mean, it. it but I, I, current trajectory though is we'll have a big lead in election. I, I, you know, the early returns get reported like at eight Oh one. Right. And then um, uh, and then the, the election day vote rolls in. And so, uh, it's going to be um, a very interesting and a long election night, is my guess.
0: And uh, look, last question for me: do, Is it uh, unprofessional to ask you to take a guess on on the uh, electoral votes? So do you do you have do you have a ballpark idea of where it's going to end up being?
2: I mean, I haven't done the electoral college calculation, but I, I do think my view is. Um, like I was, I was, I correctly predicted the wave of 2014, which was a bad wave against us. I was one of the few pollsters early on who said, "I don't feel good about where we are." This is like mid-September, and uh, you know, and I, I, I adjusted my turnout scenario to make it more conservative. And I, I do work for the DCCC C Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, Congressional uh, That was a terrible year in 2014, and and they at the end of the cycle, they analyzed the ten pollsters they hired, and they said I was the most accurate because. When I said a race was gonna be close, it was close. And a lot of pollsters had close races that we got blown out and lost by 10 points. And that's what happens in a wave. And I I just feel, um, and based on data that's in, that we had this big lead, unprecedented lead on the early vote. A lot of votes, including low propensity voters, are voting. Our side's highly motivated. Um, and so I think that things tend to break, right? They, these these elections tend to break. Now, look, barring like what happens on the debate Thursday night, but opinions about Trump are fairly well formed at this point. And I can't imagine he's going to turn anything around around dramatically on Thursday or the final 10 days. Um, and opinions about Biden are pretty locked in. So I feel pretty comfortable with, with I think Biden wins by a decent margin nationally. He's got about, a, you know, a 10 point lead. I wouldn't be surprised if he won by, uh, you know, 10 points nationally. Um, and then if he does, then states i uh, have talked about like North Carolina, Florida, Iowa, I you know, Ohio, tough. I mean, they, uh, but they'll but get a lot of those states to break our way, right? So he ends up with a, a relative landslide. So that's what I would bet on if I were betting person. I'd bet on a, a larger margin, uh, uh, both on the uh, a national vote and then the electoral college because they'll follow. But, uh, but the, the, the caveat is like Georgia, Iowa, you know, there's voter suppression and um, challenges with voting, uh, voting access. Uh, I worked in Georgia last cycle and uh, the voter registrar threw out 10,000 ballots because it didn't have exact match. And my, my, I had a client who ran for Congress who lost by 250 votes. Right. I mean, and Stacey Abrams lost because, of that, so in close elections, uh, that matters. Uh, I saw in Iowa, there was a battle over seventy thousand absentee ballot applications that were filled in and then they got thrown out. So you know, in these tight races, close races where you have um, active voter suppression by the right wing, could could impact these close races. So that's the one caveat I would say. Versus, I mean, Biden has to win by a big margin to overcome um, uh, those hurdles.
1: So one of the things that was an interesting moment, you know, when Biden said, I'm the, I'm the guy who beat the socialist. Um, and he was responding to a Cuban American right during that town hall who brought up the socialism question. And I'm curious how much the, like that, you know, Dems always hold that the Cuban American vote as incredibly like sacred. Um, how how much is that? Re- like, how how powerful is that vote? How important is it to to be running as someone who really condemns um, socialism? How would you like how could Biden or anyone in that position? Like, what's the response to a question like that?
0: Uh, and, and just to say, just to add, but piggyback on that question, is it true that Dade counties uh, in play like a lot of Republicans are are claiming that?
2: Look, I mean, the the reality of the Cuban vote is, first of all, the the Hispanic population of Florida over the last two decades has diversified tremendously. Uh, You have all those uh, displaced Puerto Ricans, for example. uh, They're US citizens, they're allowed to vote. And they tend to tilt heavily democratic, and uh, and Bernie did quite well in Puerto Rico, right? So it it, um, uh, you know you have an influence of Latin Americans, Latin Americans are South Americans, excuse me, and you know and it's a mix. They're middle class uh, South Americans tend to be more moderate, right? Right. But uh, working class, like poor South Americans, come. Over uh, tend to be more progressive, so you, you have a much more diverse Hispanic population. And then first of all, young and younger Cubans are much more democratic okay. than their parents or grandparents, right? So, so, so the Cuban vote is not nearly not monolithic, and, it, and the adherence to kind of the anti-socialist piece is 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 very diminished. So, I, I think that's a kind of a it's kind of a retro uh, way to look at it. But, um, but look, Florida—I mean, the Republicans are very good at. Suppressing the vote. I mean, for example, disenfranchisement. I mean, you, you know, the ex-felon bill that allowed ex-felons to, to 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 restore the right to vote. Republicans undermined it and and, and imposed a poll tax, which I thought was uh, unconstitutional, but apparently not anymore. So, I mean, you know, so the Republicans have done everything they can to restrict people's rights to vote, and and that's the kind of thing in close races. They're they, they, You know, they win these close races in Florida because of uh, they know that if they actually let anybody want to vote. Um, you know, in terms of changing registration, uh, a f- friend of mine has been in Florida during the pandemic, and you have to like have lived in Florida for a very long period of time to vote. You another, you can't be a New Yorker, a snowbird New Yorker coming down. Uh, so, so, but but bottom line is that the Hispanic community in in in, in population of Florida is much more diverse than it was. Yeah. The Cuban. A community is is more democratic than it used to be and you know i i just but look biden's playing to the middle he's playing to the moderate oh, yeah. so that that's that's, that's i mean bernie point. would have had a very different answer to that right. question but uh i did yeah. have one response Not back on the primary i know running out of time here but i wanted to I have one comment before he departed on that the one thing i would say about the primary is um look i we ran a really good campaign bernie ran a really good campaign inspired a lot of people and the only reason bernie didn't win the nomination fundamentally was. Um, Deus ex machina, which is it took an incredible, unprecedented event of of uh, Buttigieg and Klobuchar dropping out before Super Tuesday, endorsing uh, a candidate uh, to stop by Bernie from winning. I mean that, that that has never happened in the history of presidential primaries in this country. Where before a major election, you had um, you know two of the top five candidates dropping out. Uh, and by the way, they had more delegates than other candidates who didn't drop out um, endorsing uh, this, the, 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 the one candidate to stop another one. It never happened before. And it, and it worked. Right. It worked. And so and that's one of those things, you you know, could have, would have, should have. It's like that's never happened before. There's nothing from the Bernie campaign we could have done to stop it. And, it. and to Biden's credit, it worked. Right. I mean, he, he got he, he, he you know, his his shuttle diplomacy, however he did it paid off uh you know because uh, uh, you know they learned from the republicans in 2016 if you don't stop the outsider uh from winning in right. the first round then they just steamroll with momentum to the nomination so that that's kind of my perspective and so um you know and i just think and, that the, yeah, things, and the
0: republicans allowed to kept the vote split too right and they, 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 that's they, 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 they never wised up
2: yeah th- then that's the difference right they they dropped out too late where this time democrats said oh man we're going to do everything we can. And, 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 and normally, it's funny, the Democratic Party typically acts like the Republican Party in 2016. We don't get our, uh, we don't all fall in line, but right. uh, but this time it stopped us. But anyway, but I, I look, I think, um, you, you know, I think, I think uh, at the end of the day, biden's in a good place and we're all supporting him as democrats and and bernie's strong supporting him and we all know what's at stake which is we can't afford four more years of trump so that's and, and that's the thing that people have to talk about oh you know is biden inspiring or motivating you know what's motivating anger is a very powerful motivator in life and in politics and so right. if our base is motivated to vote out trump then that's fine that that'll work and that then that, that's kind of like my 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 bumper sticker slogan for Joe Biden, Joe Biden, he's fine, right? He's, he's, (laughs) he's, I mean, you know, people like him, they don't love him. They think he's, he's qualified for the job and he's not Trump. He's fine. And so, and hopefully that should be enough to uh, carry him to victory on election night.
1: Um, Is it easy to trace, like how, how much did polls reflect? um, the role of the media, like, were you able to see a link between I don't even know if you look at this stuff, if you look at like data of number of times someone appears on this show and negatively or positively do polls reflect the media's preferences for certain candidates or basically I'm asking if, if the the media bias was borne out in polls.
2: It can be. I mean, look, um, uh, I mean, in politics, right paid media tends to have a bigger influence except for in presidential campaigns when it, it's more limited right of it, it an impact because voters are consuming more information they're following more closely have more stronger opinions about it versus you know senate candidate senate race congressional race right where voters get very little information from our media um look it, it absolutely depends on the race and the candidate but um you know you, you candidate has a breakthrough moment right and I mean, you look. We we definitely looked at it carefully in the primary, where um, Biden got a a lot of really good coverage on his on his launch, and he he you know he gained a lot of votes. Eventually, came down. Bernie got some boost, but but not to the same degree. Um, you know, and you look at the impact that early events have. But we, yeah, we looked at like how many can how much airtime each candidate got. And no, I mean, for example, the primary Bernie had a lot of naysayers on MSNBC where a lot of Democrats watch and that's not, it's not helpful. Right. And so, uh, no, absolutely. And, and Warren got a lot of positive treatment on MSNBC and that absolutely helped her. So it, it, it totally has. A, a large imp- a major impact on presidential campaign, absolutely. Uh, you know, again, Trump, I mean, Trump manipulates the media all the time, right? I mean, I mean, the sh- media says, oh, we're going to hold him accountable, but then he pulls out of a debate and then hosts a town hall yeah. uh, and they cover it, right? And so it's like, well, no, wait a second. You're letting a guy who, you know, basically probably exposed a bunch of people to COVID, d- d- didn't follow the rules, pulls out of the debate, and then you're rewarding him because. What are the, you know, the big, large conglomerates that own our media companies are about ratings and making money, ultimately, and they're not about holding anyone accountable or getting get, get to the truth. So that's, at the end of the day, Trump, you know, has the media, it plays them like a fiddle every time. They say, oh, we're going to do this, we're all accountable, but they can't help themselves. And so, um, uh, you know, and that, that's, again, that's where you know, like, I learned it from my lesson, Howard Dean, and working for Bernie, uh, voter, average voters are very critical of the media, and they don't like the media. And if you Uh, push back on the media like Trump does, like Bernie, like Howard Dean did, Um, like voters respond. I remember the the, the great moment of the Mm -hmm. Dean campaign when we saw early on he had potential, was he's getting, um, well, that was at the end. But (laughs) at the beginning, when he was at, uh, you know, whatever, low single digits, he shows up on Tim Russert, you know, may rest in peace on on, on Sunday talk show. And Tim Russert just was so aggressive and attacking him. And Dean was defensive and, just pushing back. And as a conventional viewer of that, you say, oh my God, Dean did horribly. But we raised so much money right. from, and we said, oh my God, we're onto something here. When you push back on the media and you can actually get a response from voters who are frustrated with how politics is know, Bernie did the same thing. But when Bernie was critical of the media, it, we raised money. And, 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 and he's in, in both, he, he was right. He's right to be critical of the media. Um, uh, no, he suffers from it because then he gets negative coverage from, I mean, you know, editorials all go against him, right? I mean, con- our conventional media coverage, Washington Post, New York Times tends to be very dismissive of him and critical of him, uh, and the natural, but our, you know, Bernie's voters weren't average New, t- New York Times, or Washington Post readers, but, but it hurts. It, it, it makes it harder. It makes the hill steeper to climb for yeah. someone like Bernie. Um, and, and Trump just overcame that with, with just sheer, like, celebrity, like overwhelming with media coverage. He's got overwhelming media coverage. And he just, it just didn't. And, it, and, it, and his relationship with the media is kind of unprecedented. And it doesn't matter. But um, anyway, so that's, that's, that's been my experience with the media it has a huge impact and absolutely determinative effect on, on these elections. And, and, um you know, it's not a simple, uh, way to answer that or solve oh, that yeah, problem yeah, yeah.
0: Ben, thank you so thank much you for, so much. Uh, for yeah. coming on and uh, hope you're right on election night and uh check yeah. in with you again some other time
1: yeah okay
2: thanks for having me
0: appreciate thanks. it thanks, thanks so much take care
1: I... that was great it was yeah he polls well with me
0: <laughs> he polls well with you yeah yeah that was
1: great. Uh,
0: it was great i mean every indication is that that biden's gonna win Yeah. Right. And um, although I didn't, I I can't say that I saw the Hillary loss coming last time. The only thing, I mean, I guess there's two things, right? There's the there's the suppression angle, which could be real, and then there's just the question of like how 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 many people are really going to turn out to vote in person in the middle of a pandemic, and we just I just don't have a a strong sense of what what that reality is. So.
1: But they'll lean Republican.
0: They, they, they for sure will, uh, but just how much, right? So and we don't I hope know. They,
1: I hope they don't show up without masks. It's going to be a spreader, super spreader election.
0: Yeah. They do. Anyway, he was cool and huge week in the news.
1: Yeah, we'll, have to, we'll just have to wait and see. By the time this comes out, there'll be a debate.
0: That's right. Yep. Rate and review us. Follow us. Uh, buy
1: mugs and buy um, mugs, smash and that
0: like button.
1: Smash that like button. Smash that like button. Smash that subscribe button.
0: Thanks for tuning in, um, and uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next
1: week. Great. Bye.